Our scripture reading for the night comes from Psalm 23. It says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Oh, this is the word of the Lord. Hey, we're, we're in Psalm 23, as Jamie just read, and uh, I apologize if the volume is weird on, on my mic. It, like, keeps falling around, and so it may, it may just fluctuate a little. But Psalm 23 is probably the most famous of all the psalms. Next week, we're going to move into a new series on the book of Acts. It's an incredible series uh, because that's such a pivotal book. It's when the church of Jesus Christ is born, and it plays a lot into how we interact with each other. What is the church? What's the purpose of the church? Um, how how gospel-centric should the church be? All these questions are being wrestled with in the book of Acts, but the church was built on things like Psalm 23. If you look in the book of Acts, every sermon that is preached is an Old Testament verse. If you can imagine, if you've been a Christian for a while, and I said, okay, I want you to explain Jesus to me, but you can't use any New Testament. That is the birth of the church. That's how, it's all, that's how it all started. And so that's why we have this little mini-series of three weeks of Jesus in the Psalms. We need to understand that, that Jesus, before he was incarnate, was still among us and being revealed to us. And Psalm 23 is probably one of the most beautiful psalms that paints the picture of what we see in the book of John that we're going to look at in a little while, where Jesus himself twice says that he's the good shepherd. This psalm, Psalm 23, it's said every Shabbat by religious Jews. Some religious Jews will say it three times a day on Shabbat. They will, they will every Saturday, they'll start with on Friday night when it becomes Saturday. I know it's a confusing time for us Westerners, but on Friday night when the sun goes down, it's technically Saturday, it's Shabbat. And the Jews will begin to quote it. And then they may quote it a couple of more times. Some will wait until the very end before the sun sets on that next day, on Saturday. As the sun begins to go down, they'll quote the 23rd Psalm. It's believed that David wrote this Psalm when he was on the run as he was fleeing from Saul. And the folklore behind it is that God nourished King David before he was officially the king by giving him a glimpse into what the next life would be as he wrote this psalm. And so then they, they say that, well, God has always nourished people in the desert. On Sunday mornings, we're going through an Exodus series. On Tuesday nights, we went through an Exodus series early in this year. And you see God nourishes people. He sustains people in the desert. This is a desert psalm. So if you are in any kind of desert, you're right at home with this psalm. 
Not only did, did the Lord nourish the Israelites for 40 years in the desert, he nourished Jesus for 40 days in the desert. And we see here that he nourishes us day by day as we get into this psalm. This is, I, I would call this a psalm in three parts. It is a psalm for hard times. It's a psalm that is like an old friend and it's a psalm that holds hidden treasures. Beware the familiar passages of Scripture. If you're like, man, I could rattle off four or five verses pretty quick, even if you're like full-on pagan mode and you're like, I'm not living for Jesus Christ, I'm living for me, you could probably still rattle off a few verses. If we were at a ball field and I held up a sign, you know, John 3:16, you could probably get through it at least and get like a passing grade. There, this psalm is one of those that you can usually kind of rattle off. It's in, a lot of, it's in movies. It's in secular culture. And so beware of familiar passages of Scripture because it's in those familiar places that we overlook the treasures because we're just, oh, I know what that says. Remember, the Word of God is living and active. And so we cannot plumb the depths of it. We can just do our best to say, God, show me truth in your word. And he continues to reveal himself. So as we begin looking at Psalm 23, I just need you to do one more thing. I need you to pretend you're a sheep. It's the only way to read Psalm 23. You have to just pretend that you're a sheep. Now, you may not know much about sheep, so I'll give you a little example. Our next door neighbors, uh, the, the place where we'll have the cornhole tournament, you should all come to the cornhole tournament. That is by popular demand because some of you have said, we come on Tuesdays, we come on Sunday, but we don't really get a chance to like hang out with like a big group other than like our lunch group or our pickleball group or whatever. And so, hey, come and play cornhole. Bring like 150 of your closest friends. But on the place where the barn is now, we'll have the cornhole tournament out there. Some neighbors used to own that property and my mom asked one of the neighbors one time, she said, tell me about your sheep. And she said, and then my mom said, that sheep is so cute. And the next door neighbor said, that's all that sheep is. And she went on to just describe how annoying and how dumb the sheep was. Like it ate stuff, it went places it wasn't supposed to go, but it was real cute. That's us. You're very cute. Just not all that smart. And so that's, that's the picture that we have here. This is David off in the desert painting the picture that he's a sheep. And now he's going to talk about his shepherd. And so if we want to understand this text, we need to just put our pride down and say, maybe I am a little bit like a sheep. Now, let's read it. The Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, and he leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow after me all the days of my life. 
and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. When we were in Israel a few weeks ago, Heather and I went and we led a, a trip for a few other churches and we were, we were over there. We had these two buses. There were like 98 people and so it was, it was kind of herding cats. And, uh, and so we would, we, the bus that we were on most of the time, you always have a local guide. So I was like the guide they brought, the Bible teacher they brought, but you always have a local guide. And so Sam was our local guide. And every morning we would get on the bus and he would say, buddy check. And everyone would look around. They'd be like, me and Heather were buddies. It was like, you hear, you hear. Yep, we're good. Let's roll. Um, other people literally were like, oh, I left him at the hotel. Uh, and so, but it's fine. There were 98 people, 96, what's the difference? Um, and so we were, we were there, and every morning once we did our buddy check, that's what he would say, buddy check, we would buddy check, and then he would say, the Lord is my shepherd. And he would stop. And we like kind of clued in, uh, you know, a little bit after the very first time we did it, we were like, oh, I shall not want. And he said, that's good, that's good. And so every morning, that's how we would start the trip. So let's just start it right now. I'll say it, then you say the other part. The Lord is my shepherd. It's okay. Let's try it one more time. The Lord is my shepherd. Ah, but you do. And I do too. This is an interesting, interesting moment. I, I want to show you on the screen just some thoughts that I wrote down about this. See, being in want, which means lack, is different than being uncomfortable. Uncomfortable, while following Jesus with all of your heart, leaves a great opportunity for the Lord to reveal himself. Want, which is in need or lack, is to be less than what God designed for you to be. It's a life riddled with rebellion against the shepherd. True lack is the realization that you were lost and in a place you were never meant to go. Listen to this. The Lord leads us to and sustains us in uncomfortable places. But the Lord finds us and rips us out of places of lack. Matthew 6, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. All these things will be added unto you. Psalm 34, which we studied uh, just last week, Philippians 4, 19. My God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory. You need to ask yourself the question that I've been asking myself as I've studied this passage. Do you have lack in your life? Or is it just like some wants and uncomfortableness? Because that's okay. The Lord will lead you into uncomfortable places. You can want things and still be whole and complete. But if there's a big gaping hole in your life, that's where you need to pause and say, what is up with that? More than likely, that's a spot that you put yourself into. You, the sheep, wandered away from the shepherd. You were in a spot that you chose to go to, and it is a bad spot. There's a difference between lack and discomfort. 
The Lord is my shepherd, and he will not let me have giant holes of lack. But he might let me be uncomfortable. For some of you who are like, that's all I needed tonight. Well, you can just like get on your phone for a little bit. We got some miles to cover. I was talking with a man this morning through text who found out that he has stage three colon cancer. And I told him, I said, I'm studying Psalm 23 to teach tonight. And this is a man who in stage three colon cancer would not say, the Lord is my shepherd, but I sure lack. He's the kind of man who has walked with the Lord, the shepherd, enough miles that he knows the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. He sustains me and he gives me all that I need. And he has brought me to this place of discomfort and that is okay. And then we get to the second verse and it says that he makes me lie down in green pastures and he leads me beside still waters. Have you, have you ever been to the Midwest during the summer and you've seen like the fields of, of like just barley and the wheat and all the stuff where you're like, you know, like in the movie when they're running through and they're like touching it with their hands? Um, that's not what this is talking about. If you've ever been to the Middle East, you've never seen a field like that. Not one out in the wilderness. Let me tell you how, what the Lord does. And this will help make sense of how the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He won't leave you in lack, but he may make you uncomfortable. The reason is because the good shepherd in the holy land where this was written knows. I know where the wind is blowing from. I know which body of water that wind is going to come off of. I know that it's going to hit the hill on this side or this side or this side or this side. And tomorrow morning, that hill is going to have sprigs of grass on it. And I got to get my sheep to those sprigs of grass before maybe 10 a.m. when they shrivel up and die because of the heat. And so the good shepherd makes the sheep leave the place they just had a meal and he leads them to another place, maybe through the desert, through the wasteland, through dangerous paths. He leads them. You can imagine the sheep are like a little uncomfortable and the sheep are a little annoyed that he's taking them away from the place they just ate. They don't understand. Why can't we just stay where we just had food? But the good shepherd makes them lie down in green pastures. He makes them, makes, forces them to lie down in green pastures. These green pastures are these little sprigs of grass that he knows, even when the sheep get there, they may not be green yet. It may not be the next morning when the wind comes, but he knows, trust me, I'm a good shepherd. I know the wind. I know the weather. I know in the morning there will be food here. We just have to get there. And so the good shepherd may drive you through a really harsh land. And it may not make any sense why he's driving you in that direction. But it will in the morning. He forces us at times. And some of you have gone kicking and screaming as the Lord has forced you. 
to go to the next green pasture. Some of you have had some victories, though. You've been in that spot where you're like, man, the last time we did this, I fought him, and now I know the Lord enough to know that, like, as he leads me, this is uncomfortable, but he's definitely leading me, and so I'm just not going to fight him, and I'm going to see how it turns out. That's called spiritual maturity. You're learning to trust the shepherd. And some sheep learn it. They know, oh, that's his voice. He's calling. Last time he called, we got food. Yes, it was a long walk, but we got food. Sheep left on their own will starve. They'll also drink waters that will kill them. In the desert, there's these things called wadis, and these wadis are these deep troughs. We have them here in the States. They're in every, every desert around, and when it rains somewhere miles and miles away, if the shepherd doesn't know that it has rained over there and they're walking through a wadi because a wadi is the easiest path to take through the desert, then those wadis will fill with water and it will rush everyone away and kill them. There's been places in Israel where these giant tour buses have stopped to look at the desert it has rained somewhere else and tour buses have been washed away without a cloud in the sky. Bluebird day. So that's why the shepherd leads the sheep to still, quiet waters. The rain's already swept through and the puddles have formed and the shepherd knows this is safe ground to take my sheep. I know the weather. I trust that this is a good spot to water them. He goes on, and he says, verse 3, the Lord restores my soul. Now, I told you at the very beginning that Psalm 23 is like an old friend, but there's some hidden treasures in Psalm 23 that you may not know about. Here's one of the first ones that you'll see. The Lord restores my soul. Restore is better translated, repent. The Lord repents my soul. Let's talk about that for a second. So, uh, he repents my soul and leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Did you know that a good shepherd occasionally, when a sheep continues to wander away, I'm looking at Kate right here, and Kate and I work together at the church, so I'm just going to pick on Kate for a minute. If Kate was the good shepherd, and I was the sheep that kept wandering away, there might come a point where Kate was like, Thomas, you're going to get yourself killed. And she would need to repent me. She would need to turn me from my bad habits because she knows you're going to hurt yourself and I'm just trying to take care of you. Do you know how the good shepherd does that? The good shepherd takes that little sheep and breaks its leg and then bandages the leg up, and then puts the sheep around her neck. And she would walk, that would be a lot for you to carry. She would, she would walk, I'm a sheep though, she would walk with me around her neck and I would hear her voice the whole time. I would also be able to see how the other sheep responded. I would be able to see the danger that was out there. I'd be able to see the land we were going to. I would have a whole nother vantage point. And by, by my leg being broken by the good shepherd, my life begins to be repented. So here's another harsh reality of Psalm 23 that's a hidden gem. The Lord breaks our legs sometimes. 
Even if he has a tear in his eye, he breaks our leg because it's better for us to have a broken leg and be a little wounded than to be food for the hyenas. And so, as he repents my soul, he starts to lead me in the good paths, the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. That's really important. Not just so that I'm like a better person or so that I like can avoid some stuff. It's so that his brand is on me and it is clearly seen. It is for my good but his glory that he breaks that leg and repents me. And then maybe the most famous verse of the whole, uh, of the whole chapter, all six verses, I want to show you a picture of this as I read it to you. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Like I said, we were in Israel just a few weeks ago, and our guide, Sam, took us to the top of this place, and he said, he said I'm going to show you, the, I'm, I'm gonna show you the, the, the valley of the shadow of death. And we were like, okay, great. And I thought, like, it's not really a real thing. I mean, I've been to Israel a bunch of times. I've studied a bunch, and I was like, it's not really a real thing. Like the Good Samaritan, there's like a Good Samaritan inn and stuff, and like there's like good, he wasn't real. And so I'm like, this is just another one of those things that's like metaphorical. And he takes us up. It's like 105 degrees. We walk to the top of this hill, and he says, there it is. And I was like, there's what? And he said, no, that, that. That's the valley of the shadow of death. I don't know if you can see me. Um, you can see the trees kind of down at the bottom on all the different screens. There's trees down at the bottom. Those trees cut all the way through, and that is literally what this verse is. That is the valley of the shadow of death. Now, the reason it's called the valley of the shadow of death it's not because the walking's bad. Look at the rest of the terrain. The best walking is in the bottom of that thing. It's also where every drop of rain collects when it storms. It's a great place to walk. It's super flat. It's also a really great place to die. But sometimes the good shepherd knows I got to take them down there because that's the only way these sheep are going to get where they need to go. And the good shepherd is willing to, to put everybody's life on the line and say, we got to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And the sheep that has grown in their relationship with the Lord is able to say, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me and you got your rod and your staff and they comfort me. So let's go. We had um, a, a, sweet, a sweet friend uh, in Zimbabwe, Dennis Paul is his name. Dennis is with the Lord, and Dennis uh, was—he he passed away as a young man. Um, had had a little uh, a little girl. He and his wife lived in this really cool place. Had a home in Boulder, Colorado, like a very international man of mystery. And one day, Dennis started having headaches, and he found out that he had um, brain cancer, and it was just very very traumatic. 
uh, and it was it was a bad a bad cancer and a bad progression and a quick fade for him, but he he had a couple of surgeries in uh, in Johannesburg, and so he would go down there and he would have his surgeries, and it just never worked, it just never worked. But but Dennis loved Psalm twenty three. And our friend Chris, who I've told you about before, some of you have heard about Chris, he was Dennis's next-door neighbor, a Zimbabwean man, and Chris would go over and drink coffee with Dennis. Even when Dennis couldn't eat any more food, he would just go over and visit with him. And, uh, and one day, near the end of Dennis's life, Chris went over, and Dennis said, Chris, I had a dream. I felt the rod and the staff, and it was fine. I knew I would be fine. I've never had peace like that. Dennis, in his dying days, had a whole dream about Psalm 23. And he was in the valley of the shadow of death where he knew the Lord had brought him. But he knew the Lord was with him. And he said he felt the rod. Now, the rod is a longer wooden instrument that can pull sheep back. It can sometimes be used to fend off predators, but mainly it's used to correct the sheep. And so a wise sheep, if there is such a thing, right, a learned sheep, a sheep that learned to trust the shepherd, whenever that felt that rod, it knew, oh, the shepherd's protecting me. He's pulling me back onto the paths of rightness and righteousness. But that staff that the shepherd would use to walk was also quite a weapon. And that staff was not meant for the sheep. That staff was meant for anything that came after those sheep because sometimes a shepherd turns into a sheepdog and that shepherd will do anything to protect those sheep. And Dennis was telling Chris that he felt as though the shepherd had both, one on each side, and was saying, Dennis, I'm guiding you. And if you can feel the rod and the staff, you know that I'm right here with you. The problem is, so many of us, when we go through the valley of the shadow of death, we, we have incredible fear. Fear and anxiety are crippling so many people I've seen rich people and poor people, healthy people, sick people, people of all creeds stalled, completely stalled with fear. You know that's what fear does. Fear paralyzes. You can't make a good decision in fear. You don't beat fear by being brave. And I used to think that. I used to think you would beat fear by being brave. Just be brave. Just be tough. You beat fear by having something greater than that thing you fear on which to rely. That's really, really important. You beat fear by having something greater than that thing you fear on which to rely. This psalm is not about how tough you can be. This psalm is about how strong the shepherd is. And then he goes on and he says that you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. I don't know if you've ever come through a moment 
that had the potential for great fear and great disaster. And, and it's like the Lord was going to prepare this victory supper right in front of that thing that used to cripple you. Whether it was very real, like an old relationship or a family member or somebody that used to just have their claws into your soul and the Lord had gotten you free from them, but maybe it was a real, very real moment. The problem with this, this victory meal that the Lord wants to provide for us is it's hard to honor God if you're gloating over your enemies. The only way to feast in plain sight of your enemies is to have the attention on the good shepherd who brought you through so much. That's the sign you've been brought through. You're not even worried about your enemies anymore. You're just amazed at the shepherd. I love this little passage because this, this, this part about he prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemy, and then he starts talking about like olive, olive oil and wine. Like what a great ending to this. He's like, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cover your head with olive oil and anoint you, and I'm going to fill your cup up, and we can cheers to what the Lord has done. Multiple people got, got anointed in Scripture. Uh, Aaron got anointed as priest. David got anointed as king. Jesus got anointed as Messiah at Bethany by Mary. Multiple people in Scripture get anointed. And when you get anointed by God, it means you've been noticed You've been picked out. He saw you and he heard your cry. He felt your plea and he has picked you out and he has carried you through. And that is why the Psalms are such good reminders we don't give up and we don't give in and we don't quit because he doesn't give up. He doesn't give in. He doesn't quit. He's got this tenacious love for us. So many folks just flake out before they see what his plan was. You know, in, in, in the Lord's Supper, in Matthew 26, Jesus takes three cups of the Seder meal, but the Seder meal has four cups, and the fourth cup is called the Hallel. And the Hallel is the cup of praise, and he said, I'll drink the cup of praise with you when I return, and we'll all drink it new in our Father's kingdom. This, to me, is where the psalm starts to turn. Do you remember the first line of the psalm? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. David is seeing at the beginning his immediate existence and circumstances. But by the end of the psalm, David is starting to look off into eternity. And one day this feast that we'll have with the Lord and the enemies will be meaningless because the shepherd has subdued them and he picked you and he chose you and he anointed you and he's blessed you and he's called you and he fills your cup overflowing that we can have a party of praise for him. And then David lands the plane by saying, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The problem is, here's one more verse that's got a hidden treasure in it that you just can't see by looking at it in your English translation. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life can be retranslated. Surely can be the word only. 
goodness and mercy, his goodwill and God's loving kindness. And then, I love it, follow seems so passive. I was reading this one uh, rabbinical guy's thought, and he was, he was talking about this word, follow, and he said, it's, it's such a soft word. It doesn't capture the Hebrew that, that's behind it. It doesn't capture the chutzpah that's behind this Hebrew word. The word follow is such a weak word. He said the word is really pursue, to hunt down. David saw at the end of this psalm that the goodwill and loving kindness of God hunts you down. And that is why he is so quick to make you uncomfortable and snap that leg and bring you back. And he's not concerned about the reputation and the friends or the job or the things. He's concerned about you following him, the good shepherd. And so he's willing to, he's willing to do what it takes. And hopefully in the process, you see that was his kindness and mercy and goodness hunting you down because he picked you and he chose you and you bear his name. And that is why, especially in the New Testament, we are warned that if we bear the name of Christ, we need to, we need to not tarnish his reputation because he's got a good reputation and he wants to bestow that on us and us to live out that good reputation that he has. There's one more thing that I want to show you in this psalm. And to me, this is like the, the like if we were on a treasure dive and we like found, I, I saw today on a news article that another treasure ship has been found and I was like, maybe that should be like my side hustle. That seems like very fun. Um, but they found this other treasure ship and, you know, you find like one or two things, but then you're like, oh, that, then they found that thing. So in this psalm, these six little verses, there's 26 Hebrew words. And then there's 26 more Hebrew words. But there's one little phrase right in the middle that is the heart of the 23rd psalm. I'll give you a chance if you've got your Bible, look at it, see if you can find it real quick. I won't call it any of you, but just look. Take a look, 23rd psalm, there's 26 words in Hebrew a little phrase, and then 26 more words. And in the middle of it, David, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, has hidden the heart that God had behind this whole psalm. Look at verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. What is in the middle? For you are with me. That is the heart of this whole psalm, that he is with you. That's where you just need to like take joy and like take a deep breath and realize that the maker of the whole world, the father of the incarnate son of God, the, the guy in charge, he is with you. It's the whole heart of this psalm. That's why it's just so beautiful. And you know what else is beautiful is the way that he's hidden in this verse 4. Did you see the two shadows in verse 4? 
Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Do you see the second shadow? The first shadow is obvious. It's the shadow of the valley of death. Do you see the second shadow? Come on now, this is like, this is kind of exciting. This is like real exciting. What, Psalm 91.1, I make my refuge in the Lord and I will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. God cast his own shadow. The fears of this life cast a big, scary shadow. But the Lord himself is casting another shadow. And right in the middle of this psalm, it beckons us to say, whose shadow am I going to rest under? Am I going to hide under the shadow of the Lord? Or am I going to just live in fear under the shadow of the valley of the shadow of death? There's two shadows here, and David says, it doesn't matter if I see that other shadow, I'm going in yours. In John chapter 1, we find out that he is the shadow breaker. Listen to this, John 1, verse 4. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. When you come to Christ, you hide in his shadow, and he breaks through every other shadow around with his light. But then there's a warning, a stern warning, just a few verses after the most famous verse in the New Testament, John 3.16. You go a couple of verses down, and in John 3.19, Jesus says, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, but people love the darkness, the shadows, rather than the light, because their works were evil. I think the question, with all the fear and worry and anxiety that are eating people up, is can you say, along with David in this psalm, I will fear no evil for you are with me. It's in your shadow that I rest as you break up all the other shadows. Jesus is the light that has come into the world. He is the ultimate shadow breaker. He can break any shadow in your life. You just got to get under his. You don't beat fear by being brave. You beat fear by having something greater than that thing you fear on which to rely. All you got to do is be a sheep and let the shepherd do his thing. May you rest in the shadow of the Almighty as you draw near to him. It won't matter what other shadows in the valley of the shadow of death are looming near. You'll know that he is the good shepherd and he will see you through the place that he brought you. Let me pray for us. Father, as we sing, as we worship, may we worship the God whose shadow we are called to rest in. May we be able to say with David, I fear no evil because you are with me. May we say to Jesus, Jesus, you are the light that has shone in my darkness and it is in your shadow that I rest. Father, would you draw us out of any other shadow? May we rest in you by the blood of your son. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.